Hello, I'm Dennis Hall, a Charter Financial Planner, the founder of Yellow Tail Financial Planning, and I've been talking to people about money for almost 40 years. And I'm Sarah Steele. I work with Dennis, but I'm not a financial planner. I'm here to ask questions relevant to you, our listeners, and to keep things on the right side of technical. Basically, does it pass the Sarah test? Welcome to this episode of The Century Plan. Today, we're talking about rules of thumb and what they are, and talking about a couple of rules of thumb that we hear about a lot when talking about money. Sarah, you're not in the office today. Tell me what the weather's like where you are. No, I'm not, Dennis. I'm stuck in my village because it's very cold, it's very icy, um, and I can't drive up the road. Um, yeah, I saw. I thought I saw it was minus six. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, it is very chilly. Wow. Okay. Well, we just can't stop this podcast. We've got to keep going. So it's slightly different setup today, but here we go. Um, we're going to be talking about rules of thumb today. Yes, we are. So, Dennis, when I think about a rule of thumb, I think about the advice to eat five portions of fruit and veg a day. Uh, it's a positive rule and, and a lot of people benefit from increasing the amount of fruit and veg they eat. Yeah, I think you've pretty much uh, described what a rule of thumb is there. But let me just go into a little bit more detail. A rule of thumb can be defined as a guideline. It's a guideline to provide simplified advice about a particular subject or perhaps a general principle that gives practical instructions for dealing with a certain task. And in my experience, rules of thumb tend to develop as a result of practice and experience rather than scientific research or theory. And so whilst rules of thumb may be appropriate for most people, they don't necessarily apply to every individual and their specific set of circumstances. But in general, a rule of thumb should help individuals decide upon a course of action without having to thoroughly analyse their own current or future circumstances in detail. Yes, but if we're talking about money, what are some well-known financial rules of thumb? Well, we are talking about money. So I think something like paying off the highest interest credit card first would be a pretty common rule of thumb. One that financial advisors tend to talk about a lot is keeping an emergency fund equal to six months of of household expenditure. And one that I see a lot at the moment is the 4% rule about the sustainable withdrawal rate from pension savings. Okay, those are good examples. And, and like the four, five portions of fruit and veg, they display characteristics of other rules of thumb in that they're easy to understand and generally in someone's best interest and typically lead to positive outcomes. Yeah, correct. And I think we should be aware that a rule of thumb isn't a replacement for individuals um, to seek advice or guidance, but, you know, they're, they're very quick, quick things. But let's get back to money. I want to investigate um, this 4% rule as an example of something that I'm seeing a lot of at the moment. It's a popular rule of thumb. OK, so for people who are not familiar with what the 4% rule is, can you give a brief explanation? I can. Look, as we said earlier, like all rules of thumbs, it's relatively simple. When you start drawing down from your retirement savings, you would add up the amount of all your pensions, savings and investments and simply withdraw 4% of that total amount 
in your first year of retirement. Then in subsequent years, you adjust the amount that you withdraw to account for inflation. And by following this formula, there's a very high probability of not running out of money during a 30-year retirement, for example, from age 65 to 95. Okay, but rather than percentages, can you give me an example in money terms uh, and then illustrate what you mean with numbers? Yeah, sure. Um, let's take an easy number. Let's say your total portfolio retirement is a million pounds. It's a round number. It makes the maths easy. On a million, at 4%, you would withdraw £40,000 in your first year of retirement. Then, if the cost of living rises by 2% that year, you would give yourself a 2% raise the following year. So that 40000 becomes 40800 And you would continue that on for the next 30 years. Okay, that seems relatively simple to follow. Um... <laughs> Although I sense it's probably not that simple. No, it's not that simple. Managing income withdrawal through retirement years is going to be one of the hardest challenges facing investors. Mistakes become increasingly harder to recover from the older you get because you have fewer opportunities and less time to make good any losses. So let me unpack some of the difficulties that I have with this particular rule of thumb. First, it's a rigid one size fits all kind of rule. And it assumes that you increase your spending every year by the rate of inflation and not by how your portfolio is performed, which can be a challenge for some investors. And it assumes that you never have years when you want or need to spend more or less than inflation. And this isn't how people spend in retirement. Expenses change from year to year and the amount that you may spend in, in absolute terms will change throughout retirement. Well, yes, I'd expect to want to spend more at the start of my retirement when I've got the energy and desire to do things like travel and do less as I get older and then maybe spend more when I need care. So what other complexities does this rule hide? Well, it's assuming a 30 year time horizon and depending on your age, 30 years may be not enough um, or too much. So whilst the average life expectancy of someone turning 65 today is about is less than 30 years, we've still got to plan for a longer retirement. I've got people that I'm advising well into their 90s and approaching 100. And this risk of running out of money is an important one to manage. However, neither do we want to leave too much money on the table. We don't want to be um, restricting the quality of our life just in case. Um, so if we're already retired, and if we're older than 65, that time horizon may be completely different. You might be able to spend more, and therefore that 4% rule may not suit you. Yes, that, that makes sense. Is there anything else wrong with this rule? Oh, there are lots of things wrong with this rule, but you know, I've got to draw a line under it somewhere. One last thing, it looks at a specific portfolio composition, 50% shares, 50% bonds, and not all portfolios look like that, and nor should they. People's situations are different. Their capacity to take risk is different. And even over time, these things will change as circumstances change. Income in retirement is a big topic. It sits at the heart of what the Century Plan is all about. So I know we're going to be covering this particular rule in greater depth in future episodes. Great. So that's the 4% rule. Are there any other rules of thumb that we could easily unpick or explore today? Well, 
you know, let's just go back to that um, idea of paying off debt with high interest rates first. And whilst mathematically this is the best course of action, it's not always the best method if we're thinking about behavioural science. Oh, really? Well, I've always been told to pay off the most expensive debt first. So in what way might this advice be wrong? Well, no, it's not wrong. It's just that if you're the kind of person that can make a plan and stick to it when it comes to debt reduction, paying off the most expensive debt first is clearly the right thing to do. Okay, but if you're not that kind of person? Well, you know how we all tend to set big plans, particularly at the the start of the year with New Year's resolutions, and then we find that New Year's resolutions quickly go out of the window. Yes, I do. Yeah, well, if you're in debt across many accounts, credit cards, store cards, loans, etc., it can feel very overwhelming. To tackle the debt, the perceived wisdom has always been to deal with the most expensive first. But behavioural psychology has shown that maybe dealing with the smallest debt first, regardless of the interest rate, may actually help reduce the debt quicker. That sounds a little counterintuitive to me. How does it work? Well, it works basically because you get some big wins early. And that early success provides the um, boost that you need to stick with the plan. And there's even a name for these styles of debt repayment. There's the snowball method and there's the avalanche method. Which sounds very appropriate for the weather I've got here today. Um, Can you briefly describe each of these? I will. Um, It's like we've scripted the weather, haven't we? Um, Look, the snowball method means paying off the smallest of your loans as quickly as possible. And once that debt is paid, you take the money you were putting toward that payment and roll it into the next smallest debt. And this process continues until all the accounts are paid off. As you roll the money used from the smallest balance to the next on your list, the amount that you're paying off snowballs and gets larger and larger. And the rate that the debt is reduced accelerates. Now, in contrast, the avalanche method focuses on paying the loan with the highest interest rate first. Similar to the snowball method, but when the highest interest rate debt is paid off, you take that money and put it towards the account with the next highest interest rates and just keep doing that until you're done. By focusing on the loans that are the most expensive to carry, then in the long run, you would effectively be paying less interest over time because it's addressing the high interest rate first. So if if I've understood this right, you may save money with the avalanche method, but if the loan amount is high, it can take a long time to pay off debt with the highest interest rate, which can be discouraging and make it difficult to stick to the plan. Whereas paying off small debts quickly can feel rewarding. So if you need to see progress quickly and work your way up your debt ladder, then the snowball method may be a better fit for your debt management goals. Exactly. So it's not just all about maths. Now, look, We've looked at two rules of thumb already. The 4% rule, which is a really useful starting point for a a deeper conversation, and the rule about debt management, which is finding out whether a rule fits your personality type. Yet fundamentally, each of these rules isn't going to do you harm, and a bit like the five portions of fruit and veg a day. However, there are rules of thumb that have a limited lifespan because there are bigger changes going on around us financially and the rules cannot adapt. Okay, so can you give me an example of one of these? I can. Until the 6th of April 2006, there was a requirement to purchase an annuity with your pension fund. 
And even if you hadn't accessed the pension fund, you had to purchase an annuity by age 75 at the latest, even if you didn't want or need one. And yet, despite rules changing 15 years ago, I still meet people who are under the impression that they need to purchase an annuity with their pension fund. Now, the rule, as it was, meant that as you approached retirement, you would gradually de-risk the investments in your pension, i.e. you'd just build up a, a whole pot of cash so that you didn't suddenly experience a fall in the value of the pension if the stock market had crashed. And pension providers would also have automatic options, for example, to move 10% of the fund into cash every year for about 10 years prior to retirement, just to make sure you had the cash ready for the annuity. And there are still pension funds out there today that are doing this, even though there is no likelihood of that person buying an annuity. So to me, this is doing actual harm to the individual because their long-term retirement income is likely to be worse by doing that. So what you're saying is that some rules of thumb might have been useful, but they have a shelf life. Yeah, but there's no one taking responsibility for making sure that everyone is updated as these things change. Take the internet. For all its positives, it stores everything and doesn't really cull the old stuff. So if you're clicking onto the wrong site, you could... Uh, you could unwittingly expose yourself to wrong and harmful information. Okay, so what do you recommend for those of us who are glued to the internet? Well, oh, you and me both. Look, it starts with critical thinking. Um, and, and if that's not you, money might not be your thing, then checking in with a specialist. Even doing some simple analysis of your situation or reading an alternative view. And as this podcast progresses, we're going to be looking at more areas where there is conflicting information, and we'll be applying critical thinking to challenge some of those common perceptions. For example, in the next episode, I want to challenge the notion that the more money you have, the more complex your investment strategy needs to be. Yet, do rich people really need more complexity in their lives? Well, quite. That sounds great. We're always talking in the office about simplifying things. Um, but I also get the sense that we've barely scratched the surface with this one. Um, so I'm looking forward to digging deeper in future episodes. And thank you to our listeners. We hope you found this useful. Make sure you tune in next time for our next episode of The Century Plan. Mm-hmm.